Good evening. It's good to see you here. We are continuing through the book of Ephesians. So you can open up to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're only going to touch on a few verses because last week I felt like I I cheated the last verse because it's one of those powerful verses. But one of the problems that we have is, again, Paul is writing out the thoughts that are going on in his heart. And and as he's writing them out, he he doesn't chop them up. And so he doesn't stop and say, next week I'll finish my, you know, just explanation of what this is. We chop it up. And sometimes we lose the momentum, especially going into chapter five. It's going to be real important that we keep going back and kind of refreshing our minds. What's he trying to say? And so what I want to do is actually start at verse 17 from chapter 4, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 5, verse 2, to try and keep a context and a flow of what's going on, even though we're only going to be talking about the last few verses or the last verse of chapter 4 and the first two of chapter 5. And so chapter 4, verse 17 says, So I tell you this, And insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed." That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God. Lord, I do pray that as we talk about these things, that they would penetrate, Lord, past our, our mind and into our souls, and you would illuminate our understanding. Lord, that our time here would draw us into a depth of relationship with you, Lord, that would be evident 
to those around us. And I thank you again for this time. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking, how is authentic community developed? How is what we call church supposed to take place? What are the things that are supposed to happen when we are gathered together? And why is it so important? You see, people who find themselves drawn to God find themselves also drawn to each other. It happens in all different cultures and fragments of life. If you're into a certain music, you will connect to people who are in into that type of music. It might be at a concert you go to. If you are into spoken word poetry, like Brian here, you will have a similar group of friends. You know, you find out that, oh, how come you know all these people? Well, because we are connected to this, and so it connects us to each other. And, and if we are desiring God, what's going to happen is we are going to desire to be in a place with others who want the same thing. And as he's been talking here about how we deal with each other, not to deal falsely, to be kind, all these things are trying to develop this common relationship with God that we share together. It's supposed to be something that we enjoy. Uh, Attempting to satisfy our thirst for God, we meet others who share in this thirst. And so now we can have similar conversations. The struggles that I have, that the things that happen that get in the way with my relationship with God are probably the same things that get in your way. And, and the struggles that you have, I can relate to because we understand the dynamic that we want to encounter God and we want to be like Jesus, but we struggle. And we have these selfish tendencies that can override what God is wanting to do in our lives. And so when we come together, we actually encourage each other. Don't give up. Keep on going, man. Don't don't stop. You you can make it. I, I know that God is working in your life just like he's working in me. And so there's this developing developing of this community as we draw close to God. And it becomes crucial to our development with one another. See, I need someone else to help me keep my eyes on the right place. I was talking to my son yesterday, I think it was, and he was working and I was just talking to him, have have you gotten to go to to church and have you been, because it was a big part of his life not too long ago, and he says, well, I've been real busy. And I just shared with him, you know, what church does for me is it, brings me to a place where it reminds me of the reality of God in my life. Because I can know he's there, but when I see him working in others, it reminds me of the work that he wants to do in me. And so Paul is developing this understanding of what it is to be in this community. A spiritual community provides us with the first opportunities to live the things that we learn, to practice it with real people. 
because I can hear about God and know all the right things to do, but until I actually live it in the world I'm in, it's just in my head. And you guys know how it is to have all this idea of what it means to be a, a nice and good and, and patient person, but then you have to deal with people. And then it becomes real, right? It's like it's easy to be patient if everyone just leaves me alone. But once I have to encounter people, then patience is put to the test. And you see, that community provides us that first opportunity to put our belief into practice with real people. So John writes in 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And so here is the practical part of this community living. The practical part of this, putting our lives together with one another. And it's important that we recognize how vital it is for us to be involved with other people, a community, a church, not just so that we can go and hear a Bible study, but so that we can go and have interactions, so we can have relationships, so that we can have a time to open up our hearts. We talked about this last week about what would it look like if everyone was genuine, if we could actually say the things that we're struggling. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians. And so when he says something like, those who steal, steal no more, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to us. He's talking to the Christians, those who are struggling in these areas. And he just tells it like it is. It's not like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about that. I've got to keep that hidden. No, this is how it is. This is where we live. Let's be open with one another and allow this to develop within us. And so we see the struggle. He, he talks about this from verse 17. He, he talks about how there is this futility of thinking that the Gentiles had. And so we saw that the problem that we have isn't one of not doing the right things or doing the wrong things. It's thinking wrong. That we have a futility of thinking. And so this futility of thinking is separated from the reality of God. And so we start to live our lives separated from the reality that God is there. And he says we have to put off that old self. And then he says we have to actually learn Christ. That we have to put on this new self, that we have to give this attitude to be made new in the attitude of our minds, he says. And so we have to change how we think. And it helps us when we are with other people who are like-minded to change the way we think. I was talking to my daughter the other day because we went out with a family and we were just talking about how when we get old, I wonder what we're going to be like. Well, I don't have to wonder. I'm there. But she was wondering, like, what, what am I going to be like when I get old? Am I going to get set in my ways? And the important thing, I said, you know what? I, I always have to be aware of the, the problems with me. It's a tendency that I have, and I think we have as human beings, to not want to deal with the issues to just be comfortable and think we're okay. 
And we do this in marriages, right? Well, I know I'm right, so I don't have to worry about it. And it's like, well, what if you're wrong? (laughs) If we don't go there with our mind, we will never change. And so Paul is pushing us to the place where change needs to take place. And, And what I've learned is how God works with you is helpful to me and how he works with me can be helpful to you. When I see what God is doing in you, it helps me to understand what he wants to do in me and vice versa. That we are able to read what God is doing maybe a little bit more clearly with others than just by ourselves. And it forces us into this place of understanding. And so verse 32 is really where we're going to be picking up because he gives us this incredible statement of be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is how we are supposed to Behave, And really, these verses are summing up all that he has been saying, much like when Jesus said, this rests the whole law and the prophets, that you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor on the self on this. If you do this, you've got it all. Well, if we did this, we would understand the purpose of community and what God is trying to do, because what he's trying to do is show us through one another what it is like to live with God. And it starts with being kind and compassionate with one another. Compassionate, kindness. These are things that we want. These are things that we desire. These are things that are appealing to us. And, you know, it started off with these kind of do's and don'ts throughout this passage. You know, put off this, do this. But he moves from that place of do to be. And this is a lot different because, you know, you do these things and you stop doing those things. But then the whole point is that we would become someone. And so he moves from the do's and the don'ts and now it's be. It's a shift on the emphasis from what we do to who we are. And this is where God is moving us. This is what he is trying to accomplish in us. It's who are we? It's not just what we do. It's who we actually are. One of the things that separates Christ from this faith in Christianity to a lot of other faiths are that So many of them are based on what you do or don't do. If you have to pray this many times a day, you have to say these prayers, you have to stop this behavior, you have to eat these kinds of food, and it becomes about the things that you just do. But there can be a disconnect from what we do to who we are. And if you've raised kids, you know that. The kids can do what you say, but they can be against what you want. And what we desire as parents or what we've always desired is I want you to want the right thing. 
I don't want you to to stop doing that just because I told you to, because one day I won't be there to tell you to. What I want is you to desire the things that are healthy for you, the things that are beneficial for you. Because then it will help you develop to be the right person. Because for so long, man, we just put our kids in this, okay, I'm, I, it's a police state here, all right? I'm the government, I'm the dictator, and you will not cross that wall. This is the Berlin Wall here, and you're on this side, and it's not going down, or you're going down. And we made the rules, and we made the laws, and boy, it was amazing how creative they were in getting out of those rules and those laws. they dig tunnels under that wall. They would find a way. But you see, when the heart changed, then everything changed. And so Paul is moving us from what you do to who you are. The doing is automatic. It's an automatic thing to being. When you become, you do. But it doesn't always work the other way around. There's a lot of people who can go through motions but not be that person. But once you become the person... Emotions follow. And so it really is a matter of heart. And so be kind and compassionate to one another is a character issue. This is who you are supposed to be. This is what community is supposed to look like in Christ. It's supposed to be a community that is kind. It's supposed to be a community that is compassionate to one another. It's supposed to be a community where forgiving is The staple, it's what's common. This is where forgiveness is found. This is something that should be inviting to everyone that sees this. Jesus said that a person is known by what they do. To be is to become. You will know them by their fruits. We are to keep on becoming this. You see, we don't instantly change ourselves. We don't instantly say, I'm now a nice person. Hi, it's good to meet you. It's the new me, right? It's something that has to grow. It's something that I have to learn. It's something that I have to become. And it's something that takes time and it takes Learning and it takes the reminding and the the putting off of that old self, the false self, and putting on the real self, the one who is like Christ. And in my journey with others, now is when I can put this into practice. Oh, I'm sorry I was so short with you. I'm sorry that I was so inconsiderate. I'm sorry that I was so selfish. Here, let me help you with that. Let me, oh, I'm so moved by what you say. I want to be a part of that. That's what the idea of compassion is. It's the idea of even empathy, where I feel what you are feeling. I, I care about what you care about, and now I'm moving and I'm growing in this area. And I don't ever want to stop growing in this area. I don't ever want to stop developing. I can always be kinder. I can always be more compassionate. I can always be more forgiving. God knows I want that forgiveness. And so we don't instantly change, become kind people. And we're not expected to 
show all this high degree of perfection. God does not show the soul all its faults or even all it has to eventually give up. It gives up sometimes and some things slowly. He will make us into more. When I first became a follower of Christ, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know all that God was calling me to. He started me with some small things and, and slowly developed into more. But these faults that are obvious maybe to others sometimes are oblivious to me. And then as I am encountering in relationship with others and someone says, you know, that's kind of rude. I'm like, okay, what do I do with that information? Can someone say that to you? What is your tendency when someone says, well, that's kind of rude. Well, what about you? Right? Isn't that like the automatic thing? If you guys are in relationships, like husband, wife, you know, you know, hon, I, I think it was a little insensitive. Can almost hold up a sign. Well, what about that time you did this? It's like, I need to be able to receive that and say, okay, I need to grow in this area. I need to become different. And the idea of compassionate is actually tender hearted. And there is a move now inward. He is moving us inside. It's a reference to what's within, the, the fragile, the protected part of who we are. It's kind of interesting how just throughout Scripture, a lot of the biblical writers use language and attempts to express the deepest of human emotions. And so they would use words like within our heart or the bowels, or, 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 you know, in the mind. And sometimes they're using different parts of the body to try and connect us with where that emotion hits. When you feel stressed, identify what you're feeling in your body. Where is it? It's in my neck. It's in my shoulders. So the scripture will say someone who's stiff-necked. What does that mean? Someone who's unmovable. And so when we start identifying these things that are taking place, tender-hearted, what does that look like? Where is that taking place? How, how do I become tender-hearted? What, what does that affect in me, in my body? It's to show up in how I'm living. So how? And again, he, he's trying to move inward. In this case, he's referring to those deep feelings of empathy. Be tender-hearted. My wife is empathetic. She's got it in her top five of her strengths finder. It drives me crazy. It really does. Because she feels what people are feeling. She'll listen to a radio program or something. She heard this story about a child who called 911 today for 15 minutes, was hiding in a closet while people were going through the house. And she could feel what was happening with that child in the closet. And she's going through the story and she's all moved to tears. And I'm like, okay, that, yeah, that's a story. She'll see someone on the street. Oh, there's a car. We, sh we should stop and pull over and help them. I was like, there's three people there. They're, they're doing good. We got to get to church. You know, <laughs> we can't help them. We've got church to go to, you know, and here she's like, oh, you know, we, we should stop and get there. And it's like, she's got that tender heartedness where I'm just, oh, yeah, I didn't even notice that. She doesn't just notice it. She feels it. And I'm supposed to do that, too. And so 
that's one of those examples where I see in her something that I really need. And it helps me to identify my shortcomings because I see it as a strength in her. And so maybe you see something in someone else and you say, man, I really like that. Well, then how can you imitate that? How can you develop that within yourself, those things that are there? God never asks us to give what we don't have. And so when he tells us that we are to be kind, compassionate, forgiving, that we are to be tender-hearted, he's not asking us to do something that we can't do. It's just not maybe natural for us to do. Maybe it's something we have to grow into. But he doesn't ask us to do something that isn't there for us to do. He, he doesn't ask us to give what we don't have. In 1 John 3.17, he says, If anyone has this world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If you don't have it, you're not required to give it. But if you have it, shouldn't you give it? And so if my brother comes in here who's in need and I have the ability but I don't do anything, where is God's love seen? It's not. Where is kindness? Where is tenderheartedness? It shows up in the interaction with one another. And so he is moving us to see what's inside of us and God is challenging us to become this new humanity. This humanity that reflects who Jesus is. This humanity that has kindness, that has tenderheartedness, that shows forgiveness. This humanity that, well, as he gets to, looks like Jesus. And Paul looks for this deep, empathy to be a common trait in those who follow Christ. He expects this to be seen. If you want to look like your father, this needs to be one of the traits that is there. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Why? Because that's what God looks like. He's bringing peace. He is making peace. If you want to look like your father in heaven, then this should be something that is a part of your character as well. And so this tenderheartedness, this kindness, this forgiveness is supposed to be a part of our daily life. It's to be what we look like. And he's wanting to see this within us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. What's that one mind? It's this mind of Christ that is considerate of others, that is comforted by the love that we share, that is encouraging 
one another, that is participating with one another to help each other in this journey to be like Jesus. And these traits that he's mentioning are all those traits that we see in Christ. The tender heart expresses itself in these things. A tender heart shows forgiveness. A a tender heart is going to be kind. A tender heart is going to care. If we don't care, it shows a lack of this character. And so Paul is pushing us, if we follow Jesus, he wants us to have this. He wants us to be this. He wants this to be an evidence of who we are. Jesus gave us an example. He he told us a parable in Matthew chapter 18 uh, about the unforgiving servant. Remember, the one servant went and he owed money to his master, but he couldn't pay. And he said, Master, please forgive me. I can't pay. I'm going to lose everything. And the master forgave him a huge debt. And then he saw a man who owed him just a little bit. And he went and he says, pay me what you owe me. He says, I'm sorry, I can't pay you. I, I don't have it. And he took him and he threw him into prison. He says, well, you're not coming out until you pay everything that you owe me. And the, the first master who saw this said, what? After I gave you, forgave you so much, you couldn't forgive him so little? And so he cast him actually into prison and said, you will not get out until you pay this in the fullness. And Jesus' point is that we are to be people who have been forgiven, who now show the forgiveness. Why? Because we know what it's like because we are people who are tender in heart. We are people who are compassionate. We are a community that cares about each other and what we are really going through. And it's genuine. It's something that is a part of us. And Paul gives us this extreme example. He says, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. There are experiences that make forgiveness easier. When you experience God's grace, It makes it easier to be gracious to others. Whenever I would sit down and counsel someone, I always want to remember, in fact, it was kind of one of the things I would do before I would sit down, because the last thing I want to do is sit down and be an attitude of judgment, like I'm going to tell you what to do. I want to come in with an attitude of humility, esteeming them as more important than I'm myself. And so I think about my shortcomings. I think about my failures. I think about how, how much I need to grow and change. And now when I sit down in front of you and you come and you tell me, hey, I've got this problem. You know, whatever the problem is, I'm stealing and I'm, you know, having trouble, you know, with my marriage and I'm, you know, giving into drugs and I'm, I'm doing these things and I'm sleeping around. I don't come after you and say, you dog, you. How dare you? I come into a place and I understand God's grace for me and I say, wow, man, you can get better. You, God has for you a life more than this. You don't have to live here. 
God's grace is enough for you. And now that tender heart is actually coming alongside and helping them up instead of pushing them down. And so I have to have this understanding that the experience of God's grace in my life makes it easier to be gracious to other people because I know what God is doing in me and for me, the patience God has had with me, then I can be patient with others. You know, for full healing to take place, we have to enter in to that life situation and be a part of it so that we can help the restoration process. You can't force your way into someone's life. You you can't force someone to stop doing something. But what we can do is come alongside in compassion, empathy, and with them walk through it. And it takes a lot longer and it requires you to be invested. It requires you to actually care. But that's what God wants. See, it's so easy to just give someone an answer. Here's a scripture. It's like, take two aspirin, call me in the morning. It's a harder thing to come alongside and put your arm around them and say, hey, what can we do to get past this? And it's a lot more vulnerable, too, because sometimes they'll say, I don't want to get past it. Leave me alone. And that's hard. That hurts. You take it personally. But you see, this is what it means to have this attitude, this mind. This is what it means to be kind. This is what it means to be tender-hearted. This is what it means to forgive, is to be invested. We have to allow God to grow in us as a community, as individuals. We have to allow God to take the things that he has sown in us and allow them to develop. And remember, this has to do with first how we think, recognizing the futility of life without God and putting on the life with God to be like or learn Christ and what that means in our lives. And notice how Paul has worked his way through the do's and don'ts and bringing us to the heart of the issue. He brings us directly to God in this way and he transitions to this next big idea, which is follow God's example or therefore be imitators of God. This is the point. This is what the idea of being kind, tender-hearted, forgiving is like, is you are to imitate God. Just stew on that for a while. Imitate God. How do you imitate God? See, what does a person think when they hear, imitate God? Well, God is all-powerful. Yes, I want to be all-powerful. God is all-knowing. I want to be all-knowing. No, his idea of imitating God is being kind, being compassionate, forgiving. That's how we imitate God. This is the picture he's painting of God. And if we're going to imitate God, it's going to be in these characteristics. It's going to be through this love. For now, he stays 
with the theme of being or becoming imitators of God. In the Greek, it's the word mimetic. It's to mimic. It's to mimic those things. It's in the visual art, mimetic is a lifelike representation. You know how we learn things? A lot of times, I mean, I love YouTube, right? I learn everything YouTube. Photoshop, I learned it on YouTube. Whatever I did in Photoshop came from YouTube. Guitar, you can learn it on YouTube. I want to learn that song. Look it, there it is on YouTube. And then I just get to watch someone do it and go, oh, so that's the chords they're playing. Oh, they used a capo. (laughs) Makes all the difference in the world. I even learned how to bake on YouTube, and I don't bake, right? I can put things in little, you know, cupcake things, and I can make all kinds of creative things. Learn how to make Jello watermelon today. I haven't done it, but you know, you can put Jello in a watermelon, slice it, and it looks like watermelon, but it's really Jello. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. How? By imitating, by mimicking, by seeing it, and then doing it. And so we we see these things and then we do them. And so how are we supposed to imitate God? We are supposed to see what God does and then do what God did. What did God do? What what is this? How 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 do we imitate God? I mean, it's a real example of just okay, where you step, I step. Okay, it's like the child following their their father in the sand. Wherever the the dad's footprints are, then the kid's footprints are. Well, what are we supposed to do? How how did Christ live? How did Christ love? 1 John 3.16, we know love by this. He laid down his life for us. That's how we know life is. That's how we are to imitate him. Now, you guys, this... This comes to kind of a heavy point and it, it, God is challenging us to be someone who is beyond ourselves. He is calling us to be like him. He is calling us to give of ourselves like he gave of himself. And it takes us way out of our comfort zone. It stretches us to a place where now we start to say, wait, God, what about me? And he says, what did I teach you. How did Jesus love? He laid down his life for us. By this, the love of God was manifested where in us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. 1 John 4, 9. You see... God is calling us to imitate him and that is calling us to sacrifice for others, to give our lives for others, to allow him to live in us, that God would be evident in us. That means that what we have is now what is available for God to use to help those around us. The community that we are a part of, we should be able to step into the lives of people and with what we have, help them. It is wanting us to be active participants with the lives of the people around us, not bystanders that just give out advice, not people who just go in and then come out of church and say, that was nice, I feel better, I'm going to go home now. 
No, we step into the lives of people. We cry with them. We weep with them. We help pick them up. We journey with them. And now our lives are shared together in this common community that we call Christianity. And it's meant to involve all of who we are. Christian love is defined by God's love. And God's love gives. For God so loved the world, he gave. This is how we're defined. And we are deceiving ourselves if we think that we have the love of God and we are not giving. We're deceiving ourselves. It's not genuine. We're, we're playing games and, and we're not changing. We're, we're holding on to our own image because it costs too much. And he says, no, be imitators of God. That means do what God did. That's a tall order. Imitate God. In what way? By being kind, being compassionate, tenderhearted, forgiving, even as he's forgiven us. Follow God's example. Imitate him, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God. He's bringing us now to an understanding of worship, and it's a different picture of worship maybe than the usual concept. Loving actions as worship, what we do as worship, not just what we sing. Hebrews 13, it says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifice, God is pleased. See, the worship isn't just the praise of the lips, it's the sacrifice of life. And with that, God is pleased. That, that's where he's calling us to worship. And that last line captures the significance of the fragrant aroma. Remember, the Hebrews, what they would do is offer that sacrifice to God, whether it be the incense or the burnt offerings, and the smoke would be going up to God, and that was the fragrant offering that was going up to God, that aroma. Here, God, this is for you as it's lifted up, so we are lifting up this praise, this worship to you, and now our lives have become that sweet aroma. Our lives themselves have become that offering and sacrifice to God. Our lives are what is now given to God. And the goal of worship offering is to be pleasing and acceptable to God. So here is a community that brings God pleasure. Here is a people that are gathered together that bring God pleasure by the things that they do because they give themselves to one another because they are showing forgiveness and kindness, tenderhearted. This community now reflects God and it's received as worship. And so God is wanting us to worship him, not with just our words, but with our very lives and with the actions of our lives. And those actions are our kindness and our love towards one another. The, the actions that we do are the imitation of what God has done for us is now being done for one another. And so in concluding, what he's saying here is there's something 
taking place in the section that just makes us uncomfortable because I feel like God is asking me to do or, or not to do, but he's asking me to at the same time be because it's not enough just to do something or to not do something. I know what he wants is for me to actually be someone. And so I, I'm struggling with, okay, God, how do I take all this with so the things I have to put off, the things I have to put on, the person I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to be this person? And if it's not rules and if it's not regulations, even though the rules are good, God, what you're really wanting us to do is to encounter you. You see, I don't read the scripture to find out what I need to do or don't do. I read the scripture so that I can encounter God and so that God can now change who I am so that I can now become him. Why? Because now I see him and I can imitate him. And this is what Jesus did. So this is what I am supposed to do. This is what we are called to do. This is who we are supposed to be. So God is calling us to be these people. He's calling us to imitate him. He's calling us to be like him and to put these things into practice. It's a community that we begin to learn how to externalize Christian spirituality. It's in community that we learn how to express the things that we see in Christ with one another. It's in community, it's with other people that we begin to grow outside of our skin and our tender hearts need to now be seen in the things that we do. It's in community that gets uncomfortable and requires me to involve my life with other people and allow them to involve their lives with me. It's in community that we develop this dynamic where now people see Jesus by how we live with one another and how we care for one another. It's in spiritual community that we actually begin to practice and develop our growth in love and trust and to live this life that God has given us an example to follow in. For as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There will never be the miraculous in your life or my life. You want to see something happen. You want to see God do a miracle. There will never be a miracle without sacrifice. The miraculous work of God requires sacrifice. And if we are unwilling to sacrifice, we will bypass the miracle. And the more we hold on to try and live a safe life, the more we're going to find ourselves distant from a miraculous life because we never sacrificed. We've never given of ourselves. And so God is calling us through these verses to imitate him and what we've seen in Jesus put into practice. And that's what community is supposed to look like. Let's pray.
Jesus, you told us that we are to be the light of the world, that we are a city that's set on a hill and can't be hidden. You've told us, God, that we are, that the gates of hell would not prevail against your church. And that what things we bound on earth would be bound in heaven, and what we loosed on earth would be loosed from heaven. And Lord, you have called us to be like you. And so I pray, Father, for an openness to hear your voice in my life, to open my heart to the things that you would call me to. I pray for a sensitivity of spirit, God, that would be tender-hearted to those around me. And instead of talking about people, I would pray for people. And instead of being judgmental, I would be compassionate and kind. Lord, that people would feel your acceptance when they come into our community because we are imitating you. Lord, may we grow in this area. May we develop. May we see our shortcomings and and see the example of Christ. And, And may we put the effort into getting into that place. Lord, as you've been patient with me, may I be patient with others. Lord, as you've been kind to me, may I be kind to others. Lord, as you have sacrificed for me, may I be willing to sacrifice to others. And may this be my worship to you. And I offer it to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.